It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. The Elks and the Argos have a great game in Toronto. The Blue Bombers use time as an ally. And will the Red Blacks score more than one touchdown offensively in a game? These and other questions we hope to answer. Welcome to Third Down Gamble, everyone. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. And it is an interesting week when we only go down to three games. It sure is. Unfortunately, that Argonauts-Elks game didn't get on the field this week, despite your foggy recollections of a great game. Uh, the other three were pretty entertaining for the most part, and that Calgary-Winnipeg game was one of the most exciting, low-scoring games I think that you will see. I can't argue that. It kept me riveted to the television the entire game. In fact, I watched all three games throughout the weekend. I'm a guy that's going to be doing that anyway, but I like it when the games are a little bit close, and especially in Winnipeg. That game, I think, had everybody on the edge of the seats until that final play. It sure did. It there was offense early. Winnipeg marched down the field and got a touchdown. Looked like they were ready to go and then kind of stalled out. Calgary chipped away and got some key field goals to keep themselves in the game. And then again, the CFL, you got to love the final three minutes of a game that's a toss up. And this one kind of had it all coming down the stretch. Yeah. If we go back to the opening night, which would be Friday, uh, a sellout crowd in Montreal, basically the 15,000 that they were allowed. They all showed up hoping that the hometown team had something to prove from their last game. Unfortunately, a team in black and gold decided they had something more to prove and handed it to the Alouettes. Hamilton thumping Montreal 27-10, and I think that's being polite because Hamilton really owned the game. They sure did, and Montreal, as much as we talked about that offense and the potential explosiveness, they struggled again. Vernon Adams was right around 50%. He went 16 for 31 171 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and just has not looked like the quarterback that we were expecting to see. Uh, William Stanback had a bit of a not a bit of a lackluster game, averaging 3.3 yards per carry, and they just really struggled to put it together. The receiving core that we thought were going to do some great things this week, I know you had a few of them in fantasy, and uh, they struggled as well. And Hamilton just kind of did their thing and took control of that game and never really let Montreal in it. Very true. Dane Evans looked like he never lost a step from uh, his play up until the Grey Cup last year. The uh, Tiger Cats quarterback, 15 to 22, 183 yards, pedestrian, but two touchdowns. And that offense was clicking because he got the running game involved Sean Thomas Erlington with 73 yards. Uh, even Evans had 24. That really mixes it up, and I think that helps that offense get some pressure off the quarterback. But the one thing I find with Dane Evans, there's a little bit more energy, a little bit more push coming from him. Jeremiah Mazzoli, much more laid back, much more casual. He's still a strong person, but if there's just a different style, and I think that the team is responding very well to Dane Evans. They certainly are, and he did a good job of spreading the ball around. Brandon Banks wasn't getting a lot of action receiving, and they had a great 
end around draw play to him to pick up 20 yards. So they're finding ways to get some of those guys engaged in the offense. And we've talked about Brandon Banks not having those big games that we're anticipating. So to, to run a couple of different plays and different looks for him to get some yards was great. A pleasant surprise in the game was Stephen Dunbar. I don't think anyone anywhere had him in their fantasy pool. The seven looks and six receptions, 95 yards, and of course the big touchdown. And it was an amazing catch that he made along the sideline in the end zone to get the uh, Cats going. You're right about the fact that Hamilton spread the ball around and we were musing who was going to step up. There had to be somebody else other than Brandon Banks in that arsenal that had to be a go-to guy. Well, Dunbar proved it. Tim White also had a nice game. There's still two more receivers on the IR that are soon to come off. It's finally maybe the full complement that the Tiger Cats want when Posey and Addison get back onto the field. For sure, and it's always interesting to see a young quarterback when they find a receiver that they're comfortable with. And I think you you saw that a little bit in this game with Dunbar. Uh, You saw it a little bit in Calgary with, uh, uh, sorry, in Winnipeg, but with the Stampeders, with Jake Mayer and Huff. Um, We'll get on that track here a little bit later when we talk more about that game. But you find that comfort level for a quarterback and it can really help put him at ease and settle into a game and, and find his rhythm. Rhythm is such a, a huge thing. We we refer to it as momentum, whatever other positive feel that you get from what's happening on the field. The Tiger Cats just look like a different team. And some will argue that, yes, they were uh, a little bit shorthanded. Jagera Davis had breached COVID protocol, so he, as the defensive lineman was not going to be playing. That impacted them. Of course, we've mentioned the receivers that aren't there. They still under those circumstances looked like they were the first place team and Montreal was the team looking up at them. Yeah, we're, we continue to kind of sit and wait to see who is going to take control of this East. That's really up in the air. Toronto has looked good and looked bad. Hamilton's looked bad and then good. Montreal came out of the gate looking good in their first game and hasn't looked really like much of a competitor since. And then, of course, there's the Ottawa Red Blacks in the mix there as well. They do have a win, so they're not out of it as far as the East goes, but um, they need to be showing something a little bit better to get into a playoff spot. I think Toronto's situation is a little bit different than two of the four teams in the East. Of course, them and Hamilton maybe share the one thing, is that they didn't have the quarterback they have now start the season. That's very true. Now the guy that they maybe want, we don't know in Hamilton's case if this is what they really wanted, But in Toronto's case, yes, they had put the big bucks out for Nick Arbuckle. He is starting, and he looked good against Winnipeg. Of course, now they face the Tiger Cats on Labor Day weekend, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Lots to talk about for Mark's Labor Day weekend. The follow-up game, and this one on Saturday night, I thought was going to be a defensive barn burner, and it almost was. (laughs) (laughs) The BC Lions go into Ottawa and... Even their season record by winning 24 to 12, Michael Riley looked good in that game. In even in the uh, inclement weather that finally hit in the third quarter, it didn't seem to slow him down. He had nice tight spirals on the football. He had decent length to his passes, some speed, pace, whatever you want to call it. 23 of 32 for 301 yards and a touchdown. I think he had a great night. Ottawa defense that has really shown that they can give a lot, but they won't 
give you a lot. He certainly did. And whatever has been going on with that throwing elbow of Riley, he seems to be getting stronger every week, which is a great sign. Uh, you know, we were pretty nervous for him after those first couple of weeks and, and not being able to really throw that long ball or a tight ball. He was throwing some wobblers out there. So it looks like he's getting his strength back and, and taking control and being the quarterback that we all know he can be. On the other side of the field, you've got Matt Nichols, 23 for 37. So completed 62% of his passes, but still only 206 yards and Ottawa just continues to struggle to get anything going offensively. They had really, I think, one good series in that game that looked like they were capable of moving the ball and getting things done, and then they just kind of settled back into that routine of of two and outs or one first down and a punt. So I don't know what a solution is for them at this point. I think the Red Blacks have got to really consider moving away from Nichols. I just think physically... If you can't press 50 yards at all, then every defense can shore up and move up against you. And that's what the Lions did. As the game went on, you didn't see any of their backs drift back anymore. Even though there's a couple of speedsters with the uh, Red Blacks, they didn't worry about them because they didn't think the ball was going to go there anyway. And they were right. Nichols just is not able to push the ball down the field. You can say that okay maybe it's the offensive design but even within that you have certain choices within any given play and you don't always have to take the back coming out of the out of the uh, backfield so all, all that given though I still don't know who else if you give Dominic Davis the ball and let him have a go at it who does he have for weapons I, I don't see any receivers out there that would put a lot of fear into other teams now granted anybody can have a great game and we've seen a few flashes from Devontae Dedman, uh, from Daniel Peterman. You know, there are a few guys out there, but I don't feel like they've got a game breaker. So with Davis getting snaps, I don't know if things are much different as far as the points on the board go. The two things that I think Dominic Davis can provide, one, strength of arm, two, he's, he's a lateral mover. He isn't necessarily a sitting duck in the pocket once the pressure comes. He'll get outside. Davis, remember, in... 2019 started two and two before the wheels came off and he actually went into Calgary and beat the Stampeders the Red Blacks I think have got to start looking at it because and I hate to be harsh about this but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result and right now are the Red Blacks getting to that point with Nichols it just doesn't seem like he can do much he does have one sort of Brandon Banks type receiver with Ryan Davis. And I think he's underutilized. Davis had eight receptions for 70 yards, but had any one of those been of any distance, I think he would have had a hundred yard game and we would have been talking about him and what a pleasant surprise he's turning out to be. Yeah, you're right. If you've got all the speed in the world, but you can't, you don't have an arm that can get him the ball. What do you do? You can only hope that he's going to break so many tackles and rack up those yards after catch he's got to be capable of hitting a receiver in stride that's got that kind of speed and then you've got open field to to work with so right now they're not getting that deep ball they're not even getting the wide ball out to the sidelines that they they need to kind of turn any kind of passing play into a game breaker play and 
I still feel like Ottawa is relying on their defense to turn the tide of a game and maybe get a score. And it's a real bonus and an exciting time when your defense does get a pick six or a fumble recovery and gets you some points, but you can't rely on that as part of your offense, if you will. The question is, and this was Milt Stiegel on the TSN show, was saying you've got to look at changing the quarterback because what else has changed that has affected you anything? It's kind of your quickest chance to get a fresh look out there, right? You've, you've got a quarterback waiting in the wings. At this point, Matt Nichols isn't lighting things up. Why not give it a shot? And if you're, you've got a game coming up against a kind of struggling Montreal Alouettes team here as well, so roll the dice a little bit and see what happens. You could almost argue the same thing for Vernon Adams Jr. in Montreal because he's looked fairly ordinary in the last two games. Now, part of that, I think, and we allocated here that we thought this was happening, is that he has a predilection to look 50 yards down the field instead of 15. That comes with maturity in playing the game. He's going to get it. He's not a dummy. He's doing everything he can to make that team win. It just hasn't happened. Ottawa gets Montreal this week. That's going to be an interesting game. It sure is. I, I think, again, we, we talked a bit last week about some real defining moment games, and Montreal-Ottawa is a defining game this weekend to see if either of those teams are going to make a playoff push. And uh, well, in Montreal's case, we anticipated they were going to be pushing for first overall in the East. And if they struggle against a team like Ottawa, what message does that send? And if, if Ottawa doesn't come out fighting, it's going to be a long rest of the season, I think, for Paul Apolis and that team. A rare Sunday night game in the CFL saw the Calgary Stampeders, led by Jake Mayer, head into Winnipeg and face the mighty Blue Bombers. The Stampeders gave a great account of themselves and came within maybe two yards on the final play of the game with a 52-yard field goal that would have won it for the Stampeders. Great game, right down to the last straw. Can't argue what you saw. No, it was... uh... 18-16 18-16 isn't a high-scoring game by CFL, CFL standards, but it was entertaining right from start to finish. Paradis hit a good kick. It was online, looked like it was going to be dead center, and just kind of got caught up in the headwind a little bit and fell short. Uh, prior to that, hats off to Mark Leggio for missing on a time count violation. He pushed it wide right. The flag comes out, he backs up 10 yards and nails a 45-yarder to put the Bombers ahead with less than a minute to go on the clock. He looked really shaky on his first, the convert in the first quarter. After that, settled in and went four for four on field goals and a couple of them from a great distance. So um, it was really promising to see. I know he hit 92% of his kicks last in 2019 in university. Uh, struggled a bit in camp. So as far as his confidence, that was a huge night for him. Even though the play went through and the kick was wide, the whistle had sounded and it was clear on the TSN clock that they run on the bottom of the screen that time had run out, that the 22nd clock had gone and that it was a time count violation. It was totally legit. You just wonder if the reverse circumstance had happened he'd made the first one and then missed the second how everyone would have reacted full marks though like you say to legio because he 
he did a great job. Yeah, and you can see the team embrace him. Um, I believe it was Jamarcus Hardrick that just picked him up and carried him off the field after he nailed that 45-yarder. So um, kickers always have that reputation as a little bit quirky. And are they really a part of the team? Are they not? So great to see the Bombers embrace him and really make him feel like he's he's made this squad. Tyler Crepena is injured. They have looked at bringing another kicker into camp. But from what I saw from Legio, he might be the guy. Highlights of that game... Third down gamble by the Stampeders deep in their own zone. They fake the give over the middle, which you expect with Kadeem Carey. They throw the ball to Josh Huff. Looks like it's just brilliant, except at the end of the play, Huff gets tackled, fumbles the football, and Adam Big Hill recovers for the Blue Bombers, and it sets up a field goal for Winnipeg. Oh, that was gut-wrenching, but brilliant. The way Calgary sold it, I thought, was fantastic because they were setting up to punt, then they call the timeout, then they bring everybody out, and it looks like, oh, they're just going to run it anyway or try to draw us offside. And, and they went for it. And I appreciate that because that, that took some moxie and I love to see that. It's exciting when they do things like that. I, I love a good fake punt and a fake field goal as well. Uh, it really brings some excitement to the game. As I mentioned earlier, Jake Mayer looks like a legitimate CFL quarterback. 30 for 39, 77% completion rate and 307 yards. In his second start, he looked great the week before as well. And I know I kind of threw this out at you earlier this week. Is he the Ottawa Red Blacks starting quarterback next year? Let's get a quarterback controversy started. Long before that may come to pass, I think there are going to be other questions that are going to be leveled about what's happening with Jake Mayer. Andrew Harris made it back onto the playing field, 17 carries, 81 yards. He looked okay in the first half, but Calgary clearly figured out what was going on in the second half and shut him down. The Stampeders' defense, I think, was the surprise for me in this whole thing because they had given up a lot of points in their first two games, and they've now slowly sort of got things together. That's a very young group, and they oh they just did everything they could keep that game close and the offense kept them in it and it was a seesaw right down to the end and it's the joy of the three minutes in the CFL anything can happen yes Calgary's defense played great great but let's talk a little bit about Winnipeg's receiving core and the dropsies Drew Wolotarski dropped one in the open field Kenny Lawler had a drop Kelvin McKnight had a drop there was an amazing job by Zach Caleros to thread the needle on some of those passes he was throwing it past two or three defenders hitting receivers right in the hands on a second down play and they were just outright dropping them and they had to kick it away if they completed a couple of those and keep drives going you know ifs and buts it could have been a completely different game as well the receiving core regardless of of what they got accomplished they still look to me like they're out of sorts they, they, they make a play, they don't make a play. They make a play, they don't make a play. And to add to that, now we learn today that Naaman Roosevelt has been signed by the Blue Bombers. So here's a receiver that had a really successful start to his career in Saskatchewan, went to Montreal, got cut in camp this year, and has been kind of sitting there watching things unfold for a couple of weeks. Adams only had one catch in the in the game against Calgary. That tells you something about what's going on with the Winnipeg offense. 
Darwin Adams is going to be that deep threat guy. I think one receiver that's really stepped it up for Winnipeg in the last couple of weeks has been Rashid Bailey. And he had a couple of really nice plays again. Um, had a 50-yard catch. Touchdown called back on a down-by-contact. Very slight down-by-contact. They reviewed it and it was the case. But if the Calgary defender had missed him on that play, that's another huge offensive play. So, um, you know, Kenny Lawler got off to a good start in the early part of the season and Rashid Bailey seems to be the go-to guy right now. But I'm excited to see what Naaman Roosevelt will bring as an addition and maybe he's that guy that you look to on second down that you know he's going to hang on to the ball that play in question of course the uh, Calgary defender had jumped over him essentially and I kind of think even though it's really tough to tell in the replays we saw whether it was contact on the helmet or not I like the fact that if a defender is jumping over an offensive player to avoid a really dangerous contact then I think he should be credited with the tackle anyway, because what what's the preference that he kicks him in the head by accident? I, I, I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense to me that these plays don't get reviewed. That the defender jumped to avoid injury, therefore, it's a tackle. Yeah, that's a very good point. I I agree. I mean, it could have got really ugly if he didn't try to jump over, and it was a big a big collision, and not only for for the receiver for Bailey in this case, but you know, as a defender coming in like that and the guy's already on the ground, you're smashing your knee possibly on his helmet. There could be a lot of damage to both guys in a, in a play like that. Second down. It's Mark's Labor Day weekend coming up in the Canadian football league and a full slate of games provided that the Elks continue on the right road to recovery with their COVID tests and I would love to see them in Calgary. So let's just cross our fingers about that. Still a few days away, but opening the weekend's festivities, a huge game. And it seems like we say that about every game this year, a huge game in Ottawa, the Alouettes minus 6.5 at Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. Thoughts on this puppy? Six and a half seems generous with the way the Ottawa defense has played and the Montreal offense has struggled. I think it's going to be closer than that unless Montreal gets on track like we had anticipated they were going to do, but they haven't really shown us that yet. They haven't at all. All season long, we've been waiting for that connection to see them start to light it up. Uh, you know, if we go back to 2019, they started slow as well, but then they seemed to bring it, bring it on towards the end of the season and certainly have not seen that from the Alouettes at this point. You've got to in this league, beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Ottawa is a team they're supposed to beat. For sure, they are favored to win this game. A six and a half favorite on the road when you've got basically identical records seems a bit generous to the Alouettes, in my opinion. You know, again, Labor Day weekend, we have seen some crazy games from every city across Canada on a Labor Day game, and we know blowouts can happen, but every indication we've seen so far is it's going to be a tighter game. Uh, that being said, in a, in a pick'em straight-up win and loss, I think I will take Montreal to win this. I'm likely taking Montreal. Will they cover? That's what I want to know. I'm going to say no. I, I think it's um, it probably comes down to a field goal uh, in this one. Now, if it comes down to an Ottawa field goal and you got somebody like Lewis Ward kicking it, he might turn the tables and get that second win of the season for the Red Blacks. 
You know, the Red Blacks' defense has been outstanding, they, they, I think, overall. I mean, yes, they've lost the games, but they've kept the team close. If their offense could just get going, you might see something. But I, I would have to agree with what you're saying, Heath. I don't think they're going to cover that. Uh, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game because both teams do have strong defenses. It's both teams' offensive futility that's weighing them down. Traditionally, when these teams meet in Ottawa, the game is very, very close. It's rare that it's more than seven points. So six and a half, woo, that's a tough one. The question in my mind ultimately is who starts a quarterback for Ottawa? They started to change their lineup. They brought in four players, but three of them were defenders. Only one is a receiver. To me, the problem is on offense, not defense. I certainly agree with that. I mean, if Ottawa could even have two or three strong offensive plays where they're able to put some points on the board, I think they could win many of these games. Their defense certainly holding them in. If you can limit teams to 15 points or 16 points or less, as it seems to be, they, they, they seem to have options to be able to do something now. Now, given the way that we've talked about Vernon Adams Jr. with a willingness to let the ball fly, and the way that Ottawa's defense has played, is this a game where Ottawa scores a defensive touchdown or maybe two and that swings the game the other way? I think the fans in Ottawa would, would like to see Dominic Davis at this point as well. Second home date for the Red Blacks. Uh, the fans, you want to keep them engaged and Matt Nichols just hasn't really got anybody too excited so far this year. So why not give the other guy a chance? If you're the Montreal defense, do you worry about the ball going over your head? Yeah, certainly not with Nichols throwing it. We jump to Sunday. Second Sunday in a row that we have a football game. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 2019 Grey Cup champions, are in Regina to take on the team they beat in the Western Final that year. First time they've met since. Winnipeg plus 4.5 in Regina. Fair, not fair? Fair. In my lifetime of Bomber fandom... I have learned to not rely on the Bombers to go into Regina on Labor Day weekend and come out with a win. It generally doesn't happen. Fajardo's got the Rough Riders offense looking dialed in. I think four and a half point spread is reasonable. Now, we've seen some last second heartbreakers over the years as well. Unfortunately for me, I think this one is the Rough Riders covering that four and a half. Certainly the Rough Riders in their play uh, that we've seen in their first three weeks they played at least seem to be able to rise to the occasion. And uh, this is the big test for the Rough Riders, in my opinion. They're playing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who have uh, done very well in this uh, beginning of the season. So it's going to be the test to see if, in fact, the Riders can stand up. I think, like Heath, I would pick the Riders in this case. They seem to have all the shows where Winnipeg seems to have struggled at times although they're still a very strong defense, and it is Labor Day, so anything could happen. Saskatchewan has a better rushing attack, 107 yards averaging per game. Winnipeg, surprisingly, only 81. The curious stat to me, 257 per game for the Riders in passing, 239 for the Bombers. You wouldn't necessarily expect those numbers to be that close. It's going to be a good game, I hope. I'm, I know the game is sold out. It's been sold out for weeks. This is going to be a huge test because you think of it this way. The Riders are 3-0, and the Bombers are 3-1. and If either team sweeps, they have the seasonal series and a huge jump on first place. Yeah, now you mentioned the rushing stats between these two teams. And let's keep in mind, 33 for the Bombers has played exactly one game. And he came out strong in that first half and really pounded the ball. Calgary shut him down in the second half. But this one, again, 
we talk about defining moments in a season. Labor Day in Regina, and let's see what Andrew Harris brings to that rushing game for Winnipeg. Having Harris back has to be a lift for the Bombers. I think that's he's been the key to their offense in the past years, and uh, if he can get on track, I think the Bombers have a good chance to be very close, if not win the game. The Riders' defense has been uh, able to play fairly well against the run, but they haven't come up against an offensive line the caliber of Winnipeg's to this point. Another of the traditional Labor Day matchups is in Hamilton, where the Argonauts take on the Tiger Cats. This game is another battle for first place. The Argos have it. The Ticats won it. Hamilton stumbled out of the gate. Toronto back-to-back against Winnipeg, split that series 2-1. Again, a sweep puts you in a very, very great position to win first place. The difference in this circumstance is that unlike the Rough Riders and the Bombers where this is it, they don't play anymore, the Ticats and the Argonauts have two more after this. So you could, theoretically, if you swept this series, you would run to first place. I believe the Tiger Cats are favored by two and a half points at home. Now, we did talk earlier about the fact that both of these teams have a different starting quarterback than they did in week one of the season. And maybe that's awoken both of these offenses a little bit. Um, I'm expecting this to be one of those back and forth Labor Day games. I'm going to pick the over on the points. Offenses have kind of struggled so far this season, but if there's a game that's going to be a a wide open affair, I think it's Hamilton-Toronto. And I think Hamilton does end up winning this one by more than the field goal. I actually like what I see out of Toronto so far, and I think they'll have a great opportunity to come into uh, you know, some hostile territory and come home with a win in this case. They seem to be gelling. We talked about it at the beginning of the year. You know, if they can get everyone together, will they be able to move forward? And for me, I, I'm going to pick the Argonauts. Passing yards per game, Toronto is almost a football field ahead, 276 to 193 average. That's huge if you have that kind of production because that means you're, you're going to be scoring more points. Nick Arbuckle provides the type of leadership they need an offense and that defense for Toronto with all of that stardom that they have is starting to come around. We saw them play very well against Winnipeg both times. Hamilton and Toronto, this this could be just a brawl in the alley because these two teams, A, don't like each other because they're 80 to 90 Ks apart and B, with first place on the line, somebody's got to get bragging rights. If a team is going to show that they want to take control of the East, these are the games that matter. And if one of these teams can win back-to-back against the other one, they really, I think, have that first place in their sights that they can hang on to for the rest of the season. With the reduction in games, these Labor Day games usually were, were gearing up towards the back half of the season. And in this case, I think these are crucial games. And I agree with you. I think if any teams uh, can sweep these back-to-back, it's huge for placements. I think the Argonauts have that possibility to do that. Final game of the weekend is the Edmonton Elks. If they make it through all their COVID protocols and pass all their tests, will be in Calgary to take on the Stampeders. Edmonton plus six in Calgary. And these odds powered by Bet Regal. Interesting that this is, of course, as of Tuesday, but that the Elks are that far behind. Well, we have to keep in mind that they couldn't play last week. They couldn't practice for a few days and resume regular regular team activities. 
what does that mean for the cohesiveness of that unit? Uh, we've seen Calgary come out and not really miss a beat with the loss of Bo Levi Mitchell. Jake Mayer has stepped in and led that offense. And with what we've seen out of Edmonton and Trevor Harris's inability to put touchdowns up, I don't see how a six-point favorite for Calgary is outrageous. I think uh, the potential is there for Calgary to cover this one. I think there's great potential for that. But having said that, I think this is a defining game in, in sorts for the Elks. They've gone through the situation of COVID. I imagine that there's probably some hard feelings in the um, locker room between some of the players. And this is going to be a point that can either galvanize them, bring them together and make them stronger, or potentially have an impact on uh, the, the cohesiveness of the team and how they pull together. So for me, I'm really interested to see how the Elks will come out. If there seems to be some problems in the locker room that transpire over or, or that flow across to the field, I, I think this could be one that Calgary could walk away with and it could be a defining moment. But, I mean, it has potential to go either way. I think I'm still leaning towards Calgary to be able to cover this. What we've seen off them the last little while and the fact that Edmonton just hasn't had that regular few weeks of playing and practice may have an impact on their performance. As of our recording, the Elks are just doing walkthroughs at practice. So this is just the beginning of them getting back into game readiness. The Elks, we joked that if the field was only 90 yards long, they'd probably have six touchdowns by now. The problem is they can go between the 20s. They can't go any further. And that's where they struggle. Now against BC, yes, they did get a touchdown pass to Mike Jones. They could have scored maybe at the end of the game. They're averaging less than 20 points a game. And when you do that, I don't think on the road you're that much of a threat. So let's talk a little bit about the potential of a forfeit for the Elks. I had heard some discussion today about trying to schedule this game in as a makeup game, but you're looking at also changing dates for possibly two, maybe even three other games. And how fair is that to all the other teams involved? I think, you know, in my opinion, uh, this should go down as a one nothing Toronto Argonauts victory and we just move on from there. It's it's too much in an already condensed season to try to start playing with now teams by weeks, their schedules, other opponents, all the travel that's involved and everything in it. I think it's it's too much to ask. The ground rules were laid out at the start of the season as far as vaccination thresholds for teams to still get paid, etc. The Argonauts still deserve to get their game check uh, for the game regardless of whether it happens or not. We saw the NFL in 2020 go through inordinate a number of hoops to try to get games in. They're not doing that this year. You don't feel the team too bad. You forfeit. The CFL revenues a little bit more precarious. Maybe aren't so willing to go that route. As time goes on and we move further and further away from that game, it becomes more significant that to allow for its playing somewhere later is going to, as you indicated, Heath, possibly move three to four games to make it happen. What did these other teams do to have to give all this up for the Elks? The Elks brought this on themselves. I think they're the ones that have to pay the price. I, I don't think that you can walk away from this expecting somebody to help you. It's going to be interesting, I think, uh, and I don't disagree with anything you're saying about forfeiture, but the, the underlying processes of 
what does this do for Toronto's bottom line and the fact that they've lost one home game and, and that type of impact too? And what kind of recourse would the league take upon the organization? Yep, forfeiting a game makes perfect sense. I agree there, but how do you rectify some of these other things? And that's going to be an interesting discussion at the league level. I think the Elks have to compensate the Argos. I think that's part of the forfeiture is that you you anticipate a crowd size. You know what tickets were sold. You can pretty much anticipate what the uh, walk-up would be. You know what the restrictions are in Ontario. Not hard to come up with a number, and you cut them a check and say, sorry about that. Didn't mean for that to happen. I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that as a fan. I think if I were in the organization itself, they're going to talk about, and we've heard their president talk about the human element of, of players and, and what happens as well. But I think there has to be some sort of compensation, and, and certainly uh, forfeiture is, in my estimation, the route that should happen. It's a bitter pill to swallow. It's something that I wish would never happen. Heath, how about those pull tracker results? Well, it was a big week for some of us. Some went up, some went down. Uh, this was my first perfect week. Uh, Dini 13 and Gromit 1996 continue to lead. Dini's got a two-point edge of 26 points over Gromit. Both have gone 10 and 6 for a whopping 62.5% success rate. Uh, Don, you had a great standing going into the week, had moved your way up to third, and it was a little bit of a slide this week. Um, what happened there? My true colors showed. <laughs> I can't say anything based on where I stand. I'm just going to sit quiet and hope you don't ask me. <laughs> I'm I'm back after my perfect week. It's got me climbing all the way up to a 500 record. So we're really lighting it up here on the Pickums. <laughs> hey, you can at least brag for the week. For hooray for mediocrity. Third down, and we get to that exciting part of the show where I once again prove that I don't know how to play fantasy football. Well, I came 12th, so you're better than me. And I made the faux pas of setting my lineup and forgetting to enter last week. So either I saved myself $5 or I cost myself potentially another big win. All right, let's go. Quarterback, Heath. Quarterback, I am going with the upstart Jake Mayer from Calgary for 9000 He's showed a lot of poise so far this season, and I do believe I'm favoring him in that game against Edmonton. Uh, running back, he's back in the lineup and bringing the heart back into the Blue Bombers running game. I'm going Andrew Harris for 8,800. If Winnipeg is going to have any success in Saskatchewan, getting Harris going is going to be key. I'm taking Nick Arbuckle. Money where the mouth is. I said Toronto will do well, so Nick Arbuckle is going to be my quarterback, and then I'm going to move back to Wilder Jr., averaging uh, 18.9 points a game. I'm hopeful that he'll have a big game here as running back. Interesting that the quarterback is cheaper. Mm -hmm. I'm going with... Uh, Jake Mayer as well. I agree with Heath. There's potential there for a big payout. John White the fourth is my other pick from the Argonauts at running back. Heath, receivers. Wide receiver. I am going with Montreal getting things going a little bit on offense and taking Eugene Lewis for 8,100. And because it's Labor Day in Saskatchewan, and I believe the Rough Riders are going to put some points on the board, I am going Kyron Moore. Uh, for 7000 Pat? I'm going to also take Kyron Moore at 7000 I think he's a good value. And I'm going to uh, keep it in that game and go for Lawler Jr. He's sitting at 5900 and I'm taking him as my other wide receiver. They've listed Mario Alford as a wide receiver, so I took him. 
with the Montreal Alouettes, although I haven't seen him play on offense yet, but he may return a kick for a score. Markeith Ambles is my other choice for receiver at this point. He seems to be a go-to guy with Mayer, so I like that. Flex, Heath. Well, I uh, talked about him a little bit in that review of the Winnipeg-Calgary game. Rashid Bailey has really stepped up for Winnipeg on that receiving core. And at 5,700, I could not pass him up. I think that's great value. And BJ Cunningham for the Montreal Alouettes at 6,600. I'm a little bit surprised actually how low both of these guys are listed. And I think they're they're a great value. Pat? Interesting to see you stack Cunningham and Lewis. I'm actually moving away from Lewis for the first time in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with Cunningham though. I did pick him up at 6,600. And then I decided to go with another running back, going back to Andrew Harris. I think if Winnipeg's going to have any success, he's going to be a big part of it at 8,800. My flex players are Greg Ellingson of the Elks and Darrell Walker of the Elks, 9,300, 9,000 respectively. We know that they can go up and down the field. The question is, will one of these two get into the end zone? Defense, Heath. Montreal Alouettes. I think Ottawa still struggles to put points on the board. And at 4,800, I think it's a good value for Montreal. And uh, hopefully they shut those Red Blacks down because I don't have anybody from Ottawa on offense either. Pat? I went cheap for the Argos with 4,000. I do have 500, so there's a possibility of flipping to the Elks. But at this point, I'm still landing on the Argonauts defense. And I'm landing with Heath against the Red Blacks. I think the Alouettes, if Matt Nichols starts at quarterback for Ottawa, Montreal's going to have a field day on defense. Final thoughts. I love Labor Day weekend. It is so much fun to sit back and watch the football. Things are heated. Anything can happen. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And Don, I know that Labor Day weekend always puts our friendship on the line, but win or lose, there's nobody I'd rather be sitting beside at a Rough Riders Bombers game. So let's have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the rest of those games. See you guys at the game. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.